Ashley, finally here, finally coming on Podmosh where we can have a conversation. This is probably the f- eighth time that we've tried that we re- rescheduled this. Is that about right? In the course of like fifteen months, yes. Yeah, has oh yeah, that's true. It has been a long time, hasn't it? That's right. You yeah, ghosted me for long. about fourteen of those months, and then canceled on me the other five times that we tried to do this. <laughs> but it's okay. Way to air out all my dirty laundry. No, it's okay. You know, I, I would hate to come on this podcast too because, you know, talking to me is really, it's a terrible thing, to be honest with you. I as long as you're the one saying it. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Okay. So, Ashley Tennyson, you currently research trauma. You just started and launched a business recently. So, I want to know about your business. I want to know how you got into that. And then I want to know chronologically kind of what uh, started you on this path because originally that wasn't the case originally you weren't anywhere close to studying what you're studying now is that right yes yes and trauma does play a huge role but i think i'm going to start with the timeline because that's the most significant part sweet so um i launched my own health coaching business back in november really i mean i played around with it for a couple months like social media marketing, but I didn't really get serious until mid-November. And the people group that I work with is bariatric patients post-op. And it's funny because I went to school up until my master's program, which I'm still technically enrolled in, (laughs) but on a leave of absence. And um, my degree was in trauma counseling. And then I graduated and realized that counseling, like mental health counseling was really only half of the equation. And in me personally, I had experienced so much change. I mean, I've basically lived my entire life knowing that I wanted to be a mental health professional, or at least so I thought, um, just because of what I have experienced in my own life. The, the traumas and the losses and the bereavement and just the suffering that I have experienced. And I don't use that term lightly. Um, and to walk with people in their journeys is something that's very important to me. And about a year out from graduating, I started powerlifting. And this is what changed the game for me. When I started powerlifting, it was such a flippant decision. Like I literally saw a picture of a guy in his singlet. He was competing. He was deadlifting and he looked ridiculous. Like uh, imagine this extremely large man wearing his singlet. He has chalk all over the place. He's like mid pool. And so he has that constipated poop face (laughs) and he just looks silly. I just, just call it what it is. He looks silly. And somebody sent me that picture and I was like, bet, let's do it. And I just took it and ran with it. My friend didn't, but um, as flippant as that decision was, I was already training at a gym and there was a powerlifting coach there. And so over the course of a couple months, really, I transitioned. So I guess I didn't start immediately, but all of it to say that one seemingly flippant decision changed the trajectory of the rest of my life. Um, Okay. Why is that? I, well, because for so long, I had felt trapped in these lifestyle habits, really, that were destroying my health. And because of the suffering that I'd experienced, 
I would say at 27 years old, I have gone to more funerals than I have weddings, which is saying something for our generation. Like, I feel like the, the decade of twenties should be spent going to weddings, not funerals. Mm. Um, but loss and bereavement is something that I'm very, very familiar with. And the way that I coped with that for so long was through emotionally eating and food addiction. And I just dieted, like yo-yo dieted my entire life. And Mm. I hopped on one train to the next trying to, I guess, get rid of that addiction, but I wasn't willing to do the inner work. And so I just found myself in this place where my health was destroyed. I didn't feel good um, physically, mentally, emotionally. I didn't really have much confidence. And I picked up running for a couple of years, but was not consistent. I, I still love running, to be honest, but don't do it very often. Um, but all that to say, I craved that healthy lifestyle. Like I knew I wasn't created to just eat crap food all day long and feel terrible all day long and just kind of walk that path for us in my life. But I had no accountability. I had nowhere to turn. All I really had was (laughs) Google. I hate to say it, but there's just so much misinformation on the internet. And that's what I clung to, which of course just fueled that yo-yo dieting mindset. Um, I like that term though, yo-yo dieting. That's uh, very on point. Yes, that's that's really all dieting can do for you is yo-yo. So I started powerlifting and my coach is no joke. He basically, I would say about a month or two into training, if that, he basically confronted me and said, if you want to keep training, you have to change your habits because I don't coach people like you. And that hit me where it hurt because I don't know if I've ever admired somebody as much as I do my coach. He's one of the closest friends I've ever had. And I've honestly just never had somebody call me on my crap like that before. (laughs) And so to have that influence in my life, I was like, I have to change because I'm not losing this relationship. And um, (laughs) at the time I didn't realize how vested I was in powerlifting. And so over the course of, I've been training for two years now. So I don't know, over the next like eight to 10 months, my entire world changed. And it was arguably the hardest thing I've ever done because changing a lifetime of terrible habits Mm. is not easy. And so I would say about a year into powerlifting, I graduated and I realized of course, that mental health was really only half the equation. And I I was saying that as a mental health student, someone who had spent years studying, but also someone who had spent time on the other side of the clipboard and counseling for years that, and hear me out, counseling, I feel can be a very effective tool. So it's not like (laughs) I'm dissing counseling by any means. But I don't think you can separate mental and physical health. I think they're so intertwined that Mm -hmm. in order for a person to really experience full healing, like to the fullness that we were created to live, you have to address both. It can't just be one or the other. Like you can't address, you know, the physical side of things 
and expect long-term change if you're not also addressing the mental and vice versa. Mm. So the ironic part is I graduated and I was like, you know what? Nope, I've already come this far. I'm going to start applying for all these different, like I have all these intern hours and all this stuff that I need to do. Like I was all in enrolled in a graduate program and my undergraduate degree had like seven minors. And so I had all of these um, certifications under my belt that just went on with trauma counseling and bereavement addiction and things like that. And I applied to over 80 jobs, 80 jobs, Caleb, and not one person, actually I took that back. One person called me back. It was, well, I'm not going to call them out, but one person called me back (laughs) to set up an interview and then they stood me up. Oh no. So for two months, I was applying for jobs in a field that I wasn't totally sold on working in, in the first place, but because I'd spent a hundred thousand dollars on school at that point, I was (laughs) committed. And then finally, one day I woke up and realized like, I'm not passionate about this anymore. Like I'm passionate about it, but it's not what I want to spend the rest of my life doing. So I spent a couple weeks soul searching as they would call it, really just praying and asking the Lord for direction. And I decided to go into business for myself and launch my own health coaching program, which allows me to incorporate all of my tools in the counseling field. Of course, not like going against HIPAA violations (laughs) and practicing without a license, but using the tools that I had learned in school and applying that with a coaching certification to kind of meet that client in the middle. And so the clients that I work with now have therapists and dietitians and surgeons, and then me on their tool belt working to get them from where they are to where they want to be. And I will just say this. um, (laughs) I went into business for myself, much like I decided to start powerlifting, um, not really realizing both ends of the stick. And being an entrepreneur is arguably, it is, it is nothing like I thought it would be. I thought it'd be all rainbows and butterflies and people kind of running towards me, wanting to work with me, like asking for my autograph. When can I enroll in your program? (laughs) That is not how it works. Yeah, that's kind of how I thought about this podcast too. I was like, man, I think I could do it. You know, it. We'll see. I, I originally didn't do that for the business portion of. I just wanted an outlet for this podcast and. Um, eventually you start wondering, okay, am I going to get, you know, tens of thousands of views and listeners and subscribers like, uh, you think it would be, um, and that's just not the case. You know, there's a lot of, a lot of back end stuff that you got to do to be able to get to that point. A lot of advertising too, that also you have to do for, for businesses across the board and being an entrepreneur is extremely difficult, um, to start from nothing to try and make money, uh, living at it. Something especially something that you like doing. Um, that's, that's very difficult. So I, I feel that one, man. I feel that one big time. Um, so you went from really trying to jump into your master's in trauma counseling to saying, Hey man, this really isn't for me. Um, you still have a passion from what I hear around that idea because it it still has, there's, there's still something there for you because it seems like you still see that value, but you're really gearing towards life coach and counseling in that room. Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah, for the most part. I mean, it's funny because when I first started coaching, my big push was habit change. 
but little did I realize at the time that there's so much behind habit change. Like our mindset, our thoughts fuel the decisions that we make. And whenever our thoughts come from a place of trauma and childhood wounds, we're not going to make healthy decisions. Mm -hmm. And so over the course of time, as I have worked with more clients and um, just received more market research, I see how big of a role trauma plays in food addiction and emotional eating and very unhealthy, toxic lifestyle choices. Okay, break that and down so for me. All of that's, that, inter- that's interesting to me. So break before you jump into the next step, I want to hear more about that section. Yes. So take my life, for example, all of the loss and trauma that I had experienced from a very young age, my, um, the way that I coped with life, the way that I handled all of those deaths, the way that I handled all of that pain was very unhealthy. All I knew to do was turn to food. And because that's what my body expected, like I had trained my body to believe that that was the only healthy survival mechanism. And so when I tried to change, my brain would freak out and I would, all I would do is crave my old behavior. And that really is the cycle of addiction. Like you try to change, but it's not just like, I mean, some people can quit cold turkey (laughs) miraculously, but it's not like you can just sit there one night and be like, you know what, I'm going to change my behavior forever and then never struggle with it again. Mm. Like you have to change that thought pattern in order to really see a difference in your eating behaviors. And I know that food addiction is very controversial. Some people don't agree with the fact that you can be addicted to food because it's something that you can't live without. No, and totally I agree with that. that. No, like that Absolutely. Makes, for, for somebody to not agree with that, that kind of sounds dumb to me because literally um, if you think about how addiction occurs and how we cope and create coping mechanisms. It's, it's literally just dopamine responses. Um, everything is, is a dopamine response. What we look for is a, is a, a slight pleasure to help us get past a, a hard moment. So whether it's Absolutely. food or alcohol or nicotine or heroin or meth, whatever you want to talk about, like it started somewhere and it's first started probably maybe in brokenness. Maybe you're already born into, into addiction. Um, but dopamine, like you can literally get addicted to anything if you develop a pattern that's why gaming for me that's like i'm not necessarily addicted but it does help me process stuff it's kind of funny because call of duty when i'm playing Warzone and i'm really struggling with something i gotta work through (laughs) call of duty helps me because killing 10 guys and carrying the team is literally (laughs) gives me a high (laughs) i'm sorry but and then when if i'm if i'm not playing well then it really does the opposite of like i have to be successful at something but it's kind of funny that's that same type of dopamine response Absolutely. It's weird how people judge based on your addiction when in reality, it's all the same in the brain. Yes, absolutely. That is absolutely it. A dopamine trigger. That is, that is it. So I don't know. I don't get how yeah. people can say that you can't be addicted to food. And I mean, literally sugar is terrible for your brain. We've seen yes. how it is compared to cocaine. 
Um, it's as addictive, if not more addictive than many drugs. So how, <laughs> how can somebody, <laughs> I don't get that. I, I don't know, man. Oh my gosh. Don't even get me started on sugar. Okay. Get me started. Let's go. I can't even, that's like a, that's like a soft spot for me because sugar is in everything. Mm-hmm. But the ironic part of all of it is that people as a whole don't, don't, they don't know how to, but also I hate to say it are too lazy to read the food labels. And there are so many different names for sugar that are hidden mm. in these products. And so people will like skim through the food labels and they'll see like sucralose or table sugar or cane sugar. But then there are these like eight syllable words for sugar that are hidden in there. People are like, oh, that must be a vitamin. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. No, that's just sugar. Okay. So but, what are some of the things, what are some of like the biggest things that you've learned as you've been diving into research, as, as you've been diving into um, powerlifting and, and really found your passion and not only powerlifting, but life coaching. Um, what are some of the craziest things that you've learned and taken away from this, these type of experiences? And by the way, I think it's really cool that you, you shifted your, your dream. You know, you went to school and then life kind of happened, whether it be in school or out of school and you shifted, Hey, maybe like, maybe I like this better. Maybe this one, this path is going to be better for me. I, I really like that you did that. That's that's most people would stick with the masters and just keep trying to pursue that and um, run with it. But do what you love. And I, I like that you did that. Well, I will tell you something. If I'm being completely honest, I have I have applied to jobs probably three times since I've started because I've been so tired of the uphill climb that is known as entrepreneurship that I'm like, you know what? I'm just meant to work a job that I hate working for the rest of my life and live out somebody else's dream and make poor income and not. Because the thing is, Caleb, like my biggest dream is to be an investor. So like I love powerlifting. I love the health and fitness realm. Like those are my passions. But if if somebody were to sit down with me and be like, tell me your biggest dream in life, it would it would be to be an investor. Mm-hmm. I have such a deep desire to pour into the lives of others, and I feel very limited in that pursuit, like to the depths that I want to go by being somebody else's employee. And I've always wanted to own my own business and be my own boss um, <clears throat> for many There's reasons. There's a lot of people like think- that. That's cool. Like there are a lot of people in my friend circles as well that think that not necessarily we can do things better, but we've seen how corporate culture has destroyed so many lives, to be honest with you. Um, whether because of the stress, the chronic stress or the way they're treated. Like, honestly, like it sounds like you want to own a business to empower your employees. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. But why? Like, why do you like empowering people? I don't know. I think it's because I have spent most of my life feeling unempowered and I mm. don't want people to feel that way because that's not who we are. Yeah. You know, we're not robots. We're not created to live these subpar lives that we're not passionate about. Like the dreams and desires that we have are given to us on purpose. And I think it's amazing while we're on this topic that you have friends who 
have very similar perspectives and worldviews on that stuff and that you yourself are pursuing what you're passionate about despite how challenging it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know, man. Like I, uh, I'm seeing a lot of people like you and myself. Um, and in fact, we were just talking to a couple of friends the other day, how they, they too want to start their own business to make sure that nobody's ever treated the way they have been treated by the CEOs and the corporate culture of today's world. Uh, it's yeah. just crazy vicious how, how corporate culture is. Um, how the nine to five or eight to five job does not provide you with the quality of life that maybe, you know, our great grandparents or grandparents had at that time. And we're, I think we're, we're realizing things in society and the economy in, in our culture can be changed in a very big and massive way. Like we don't have to work the nine to five. The nine to five job is now slowly kind of uh, being viewed seemingly as, plan H <laughs> instead of plan A because growing up, yes. you know, we were always taught, Hey man, you know, you, you go to, you go to high school, you go to college, you graduate and you get a nine to five job and work, you know, your butt off for 40 years, wouldn't get that retirement, that pension, but that pension also returns are not near as high as you can get with an, a Roth IRA. And by the time you're done with your nine to five work week or eight to five work week, you're exhausted. Like there's no time for family, no time for fun. You have two week, two days off to literally just recuperate from your work week. And then you go back to and do it all over again on a Monday. So, and not only that, but like you're at work getting yelled at by your boss and it never seems like it's enough. And you're over here just barely struggling, even mentally at home and at work. And it seems like you just can't catch a break. Like that's everybody. It seems like, you know, <sighs> sorry, tangent, you're preaching tangent, <laughs> but like, what if, like, what if, you know, people like you could get into a, a, a position where you have, you know, 150 employees under you and you could just go buy somebody a house who needed it, or you could just go buy them. A, hey, you got a car? Yes. Here you go. I got enough money where I don't need, I don't need to spend 5 million yes. of money a year to live. I can live off of 70 K or 60 K. <laughs> And really start pouring into the people around us. So I guess let me ask you this: you know, you you've yeah. done okay. I like I like that um, response from you because that's exactly my passion too. You've done a lot of research and um, how do I say this? You you're very knowledgeable about things around you. We've had a lot of conversations. Um, you're good at seeing perspectives. You've been taught in counseling, which is really counseling is understanding the other's perspective in the way that they need it. That's kind of what counseling and trauma counseling is. Um, why do you think our culture is the way it is today um, where you and not people like you and me are, are trying to fight against that idea of the nine to five work week of really pursuing our dreams? And I've been told so many times, like I've been told my I've been I've told people my dreams and then gotten shot down. Like, oh, you'll never be able to do with that. Um, good luck or ha ha. Like I've gotten I've gotten some pretty intense um shots across the bow, so to speak. So why do you think all this is? Like, why are people so mean? <laughs> <laughs> this is the moment when Taylor Swift comes in and starts singing mean. Um I was thinking teardrops on my guitar. Um, that would make me feel better. <laughs> she could do a little mashup, yeah. Um it's funny you ask that question because I think about this all the time. 
I don't want to use names because I don't know who this podcast will reach, but there are people in my very, very immediate circle who have spoken out against this pursuit because to them, me choosing uncertainty and risking everything to pursue my dreams is the riskiest thing I could ever do, like to the point of negligence. And pursuing the American dream, the nine to five, the white picket fence, the financial security and social status is more important than living a life that really you desire to live. Mm. And furthermore, one of the handful of times that I've almost thrown the towel in and started applying for jobs, by the way, which has happened three times at this point, and none of those jobs <laughs> reached back out to me, um, just so the record reflects. So that was a closed door. I feel that like I'm, uh, I'm, I'm 87 jobs in um, over the past uh, <laughs> five months, six months. And that was, again, I, similar to you, I graduated with my degree public in public health. Yours is in trauma counseling. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I'm 80-something jobs in, <laughs> almost 90, if not more. Yeah. Yeah. So and I, I haven't heard back from anybody. I've got some insurance it's jobs. Insane. I've got like, I, I got my oh. insurance license and my real estate license, <clears throat> but it, it's like, I had it. That's fine. Like it's a great fallback. That's why I got it. But I was hoping to get, you know, a, a job in public health or emergency disaster management, which is what my, I'm geared, my bachelor's is geared towards. And yeah, it, it, nobody, I, maybe we're just typing something in wrong on our resume. <laughs> Oh, Even man. with your experience as an EMT, nobody's reached out to you. Yeah. Yeah. I might go get an That's EMT insane. job and make, you know, $16 an hour like I was. <laughs> but that's, uh, that's barely enough to cover anything at this point. I don't that's know, man. It's, me. It's weird. There's, this is a weird time to live. It's a very weird time. It really is. And you, what's go more go ahead. is people are always complaining about how they don't ever have any employees to work for them since COVID. But we've applied to like 4,000 jobs at this point, cumulatively, cumulatively you and I, and nobody has reached back out to us. I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's the job. I don't know. I don't know what it is. I don't know what I'm missing. Um, (laughs) It's, I think, I think more like, I, I love this podcast. I love doing this podcast. I definitely don't have the reach that I was originally hoping for, but I don't care because I originally did it for like learning, having conversations like this to hear people's stories. Um, one thing I've really tried to do in all this is that you don't have to have like when I when I have people um, who don't have a fancy job title, because I've had like I've had people with fancy job titles on here before and they're like, oh, I don't have a fancy job title. Like, why would you want me on? Like, I don't really care about the fancy job title. I think you can learn from anybody just because their life experience is going to be vastly different than your life experience. And the art of the conversation has died in a lot of ways where, you know, if if you have Dr. So-and-so says this fact, that means it has to be true. But having conversations like this, learning from where you came, like originally I thought this podcast was going to be about trauma um, and how, and your original research and, and degree and what you're trying to pursue and now, cause the last time we talked, I think a year ago about this, that's what you were doing. Um, but I like how it shifted. I like how like, you're actually like, no, we're, we're, I'm, I'm really trying to do life coach and, and empower people to succeed. And I like that. 
That's cool. I want to learn more about that. And I want to hear more about your passion. So as we segue into that little section again, I know we've kind of been all over the place, but that's just how conversation is. I don't care. Um, as you are empowering people, what are some of the skills that you or traits that you use or skills that you use to try and empower people from where they are? Honestly, it's the simplest skill of all time and it's called listening. I have realized that people don't feel heard. And so if I'm sitting down in conversation with you and you share something with me and I simply share that back to you, it's like the greatest gift of all time. People are like, wow, she really hears me. Hmm. And there's just something so profound. Like when I first started coaching, I thought people are not going to want to work with me unless they see my certifications and know about my history. That's not what they're paying for. They're paying for transformation and that transformation starts from a place of feeling heard and feeling safe Hmm. and so you said safe um that's very interesting because attachment styles have a huge impact on how a child feels safe and secure like the initial few years of their life it's all about attaching to the parents and the type of attachment style literally sets the, that kid up or does not set the kid up for the rest of their life. It can uh, keep them in, in the fight or flight mode literally their entire life if that attachment style yeah. has been broken or never started initially. So safety, safety is a big one. Um, here, Letting somebody, as you're talking to somebody, ha- having them repeat back having you like if you're the 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 counselor and i say hey this is what i'm feeling then you repeat back so what i hear you're saying is dot 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 that alone you're saying is helping them keep safe is that what i hear yeah because if a person doesn't feel if a person doesn't feel understood like if you say something to me and i repeat it back to you and it's not even remotely similar to what you shared with me like if what i mirrored back was not even in the same ballpark, you would wonder where that miscommunication is and whether or not I'm actually listening, whether or not I actually care about what you're sharing. And if people don't think that I care, they're not going to share with me. Hmm. So it's fear of rejection. Yeah. Fear of rejection. Yeah. I'm just lack of safety. Um, and maybe, never feeling like they've been understood, whether it probably in relationships. Yeah. And it's interesting because I'll have clients come to me who have a goal of losing 20 more pounds, you know, in order to reach their goal weight, or they want to focus on changing some habits to sustain their weight loss long-term. And that's where it starts. But as the sessions progress, like as our time together progresses, we start really diving into all of that inner stuff and all of a sudden we're sitting down talking about that one childhood wound from when they were four years old and their parents responded to them this way and that set the tone for the rest of their childhood and that's the motivation that's the heart behind their actions that led them up to this point in their life and it's funny because i never would have connected counseling to coaching But the skills that you learn as a counselor, like in that field are so versatile and so necessary, especially in this day and age where 
everybody's talking and everybody has a voice and everybody has an opinion and everybody wants to be heard. And it's like trampling mm-hmm. everyone overfoot to get your opinion heard because your opinion is the one that's the most important, hmm. but nobody really feels heard. So what would happen if people started feeling heard? you think? I think they, not to be cheesy, like a Hallmark bar, but I think they would just open up like a flower. Like I've seen it happen with my own eyes. It's crazy what can happen in a space where somebody feels safe to open up. And I'm guessing you were on both sides of that aisle where you, you haven't felt safe and then you have felt safe. Yeah. How did yeah. that go? I'm not, I'm not asking to you know, bear all your secrets and stuff, but what gave you that perspective? What was the kind of that aha moment for you that you, that you wanted to share this with other people? I know what it's like to feel like somebody's safe and then have that ripped away from you. Mm. Um, especially people who hold more important positions in your life. Hmm. And so to have, it's, it's kind of like, feeling like the rug is pulled out from underneath you. It's very like, it's just very painful. And so to have that place where you feel safe, I think that's why I love powerlifting so much because for me, that is the first time in my entire life, like born and raised in the church over here. Absolutely love the church, but powerlifting is the first time I've ever seen or experienced consistency in my life ever. Hmm. And to me, that consistency is safe. Hmm. So why is powerlifting a safe thing for you? (laughs) That's a good question because I'm literally like tearing my body up every time I am lifting. Um, but it's just the consistency and, and, I was thinking about this the other day too. I would not be where I'm at where I'm at today if I didn't have a coach. Mm. And so if I were to have pursued the sport on my own, I honestly probably would have quit like two months into it. Um, because it's not easy. It's so hard. It's basically like being a business owner. That's how hard it is. Mm. But the consistency therein, or maybe it's the consistency of having a coach who won't let you quit. But having that in my life is the first time I've ever experienced consistency. And for some reason, that for me is safe. <clears throat> consistency I think it's is because, safe? I guess it, it's probably because I've experienced so much loss that I'm not sure when the rug is going to be pulled out from underneath me again kind of thing. <laughs> probably should work through some of that. <laughs> um, but power thing has... Like the bar is always there. I can walk in the gym no matter what's going on in my life. And the weights are always there. My coach is always there. Hmm. And so. That's cool. It's interesting how you came across it. Like you did all the other things that you're supposed to do. You saw counselors, you try to work out your traumas and your hurts and you try to get past um, your eating habits, Um, but nothing seemed to work until you stumbled across powerlifting. Is that what I'm hearing? Yes, that's exactly it. So the thing that was your silver bullet in helping you process these traumas and help you in in a a massive way was the thing that you never thought of. Yeah. Isn't that funny? So how I've, I've experienced that too. Like 
again, I like the things that I've found that I've loved. Um, you people tend to stumble across. I, I never thought that I would start a podcast or, you know, try and launch a business doing pod, podcasting. Um, I was pre-med, right? I, I mean, I was on the way to become a doctor. And after you work at in the medical field for a little while, you realize how terrible of an idea that is. Um, and you just kind of stumble across the same things that you love. Like I'm a stay at home dad right now and I never thought I would do that, but I love it. Like it's amazing. Cause I don't know. I don't only get to spend time with my kids, but I get to do my own business and endeavors on the side. So I'm more curious if there's a way to harness the stumbling across the silver bullet idea. Is there a way that people can find a groove to find something that works for them. What do you think? Uh, that is such a good question. Cause if you could, because har- like, think about it, cause if you could harness that idea of finding the things that nobody, that you wouldn't ever think of that works, then that means you've found what works immediately. Yeah, but how do you put that equation together? Like, did you ever imagine that you'd be a stay-at-home dad? Heck no. That's just, and that's, that's life, I get. I mean, that's just how life brought it, you know, into the, to the, yeah. to the table. Um, but I wonder if there's a way, there probably isn't, because I would have never really thought about doing all of what, the, of what I'm doing now. Unless life got me to that point first, you know, and I'm sure that's how it was for you too. Like you would have never thought immediately go to powerlifting or try new things. Life just got you to that point. So if you don't want me asking, how did life get you to that point? Let me think about where I was. So this was probably right before COVID hit when my friend sent me that picture and I had been training with another woman named Elena, who's a dear friend of mine now. She's incredible, but her training style wasn't necessarily what I was looking for. And then when COVID hit, she went completely virtual. And um, I remember my friend sending me that picture. And that's when I decided to go for it. But I... I mean, if my friend hadn't sent me that picture and like, honestly, I'm just so freaking competitive. It's not even funny. Like it's probably toxic (laughs) how competitive I am. If she hadn't sent me that picture and been like, let's power lift. And then my response was, you know, like bet, let's go. Let's (laughs) see who can be the strongest lifter. I probably wouldn't be powerlifting right now, but I think the same could be said for you. Like Israel would have called you up one day and be like, Hey, Caleb, what if you started your own podcast and, you know, were a stay at home dad, how about you live that life? I'm sure you would have said no. Yeah. And so I was, uh, I was on the career path to become a doctor at the time, you know, I was, I was trying to figure that I knew I loved, I loved learning. I loved like knowledge, like learning the ideas behind knowledge and what we don't know. That's why, you know, the nerdy academic researcher in me is, is, kind of has fallen in love with that. And that's why I love talking to people who follow those same mindsets. Um, Cause the love of knowledge, like if, if you're always trying to learn, that means you've never gotten to the place you want to be. Now there's, there's a 
fine line, I think, in that because you can also become extremely discontent where knowledge is yeah. your identity, like like pursuing knowledge has become your identity. Um, and that's, like I said, that's a fine line. But if you can learn how to be a lifelong student, then your pride of, of knowing a certain topic shouldn't ever bring you to a failure. Because I've seen many doctors do that where they're the specialist in their field and, and what they says goes yet their decision has killed people. I've seen that and they refuse to learn or take other people's perspectives. And that type of pride I've seen kill more people than sometimes, you know, in, in fact, uh, sickness. Uh, and that was wild to me. I think that's what set me off onto the pursuit of knowledge and learning and trying to learn what I don't know. Uh, Cause I never wanted to be at that point. Like I, I can be good. At a lot of things. It's a whole uh, Jack of all trades, master of none. Um, but it's, it's okay. Like I've come to that conclusion where I just enjoy learning about every topic possible. Um, and I, I don't ever want to lose that, you know? I don't know. Yeah. So what was that point for you where you decided I'm not walking this path anymore? For pre-med, um, seeing how restricted doctors really are by, Big pharma, to be honest with you, um, insurance Call it out. and pharmaceuticals. Yeah. And that's, that was one of those, uh, dreams that I, I, uh, wanted to tackle and got laughed at for was exposing the fallacies of the, the pharmaceutical industry and how it really is just money driven. You know, I went in to medicine thinking, uh, um, a very different thing than what reality is that you go in as an EMT or a nurse or a doctor and you have all this control over life and death. And that's just not the case. Like life and death is going to occur with or without you. You can help them in some ways, but sometimes, you know, if it's their time to die, it's their time to die, bottom line. Um, and, and realizing you don't have control over these scenarios. And then on top of that, the doctors who are trying to help people um, are only controlled by who is controlling the policies, um, which medical policies are first created in the lab or in, in a research article, uh, whether it be a meta-analysis or whatever the case may be. Um, and then same with medicine. Medicine is first created in uh, the institutional research. However, those medicines are only going to be put forth and into population of policies um, if they make money. Like that's bottom line. Like it's all medicine is just a money making game. Like they 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 bring you in thinking that you're going to help people, but in reality, like they have all the control, which is terrible. Uh, it's uh, terrible. Call it out. That's what really turned me off <clears throat> to becoming a doctor. Because I because I don't want to be eight to twelve years in of my degree and then still be controlled by the very people I want to fight. And then they would hold over my degree as leverage to do what I, they want me to do. And I just, I don't want to do that. Like there are better ways to help people, um, outside of the medical system. And so that's why I was like pursuing research. Okay. I'll go get my PhD and start doing research articles. And then you realize it's the same thing in research. <laughs> like whoever controls the medical journals controls what, medical policies are based off the science, which is really screwed up. I, I 
when I first started this podcast, I had a lady on name, uh, Naomi Alanis. I worked with her for a minute. Phenomenal lady. She's probably one of the smartest ladies I've ever known. Two or three master's degrees, has done research for, you know, 10 plus years or something like that. Um, and she kind of confirmed a lot of what I was believing. Um, it, it really was like the, the editors of these phenomenal journals were only publishing a lot of times articles that were of their buddies or that were powered by, you know, pharma or it, it's kind of wild to, to think about. Um, but a lot of these journals are like that. And I thought it was conspiracy theory at first. And then it's just not the case. It's actually, yeah, you, it's a, you scratch my back. I scratch your back mentality in research, which leads to medicine, which leads to medical policies and those medical policies that are, are directly into the consumer are what is destroying people. <laughs> I know that was a huge. That topic. is exactly it. Uh, so that's what that's what turned me off. Um, it's just a power money hungry a hungry power money grab. Is what medical the medical system is, and I don't want to be part of it. And yeah, and not to few, step on any toes here. Well, I, I know, and I, we've talked about this a lot too, and. Part of the things I wanted to do to to fix the fix it was this podcast. You know, if there's five people who listen to the podcast, or five hundred people listen to the podcast, or two thousand people that listen to the podcast, um, it, it's getting it's slowly getting the word out about pursuing knowledge about the medical system, um, really just being power hungry. Uh, not, that's not this, there's a lot of good people in the medical system. Don't get me wrong, and I'm sure you've met a lot of them too. Um, but I'm talking about the overall arching administrative feel that the medical system has is pretty corrupt. And I never want to be part of that. <laughs> you know, I'm sure you've experienced that too, right? Yes, for sure. And honestly, just imagine where you'd be right now if pre COVID and again, not to step on any toes, but imagine where you'd be if you were already researching like if you had already had your phd and were researching and then COVID hit which is the perfect magnifying glass of filtered information and people who don't think critically like mm -hmm. it's funny how life just works these things out for us yeah yeah a thousand percent and i, I don't know like I, we, I don't think we either one of us knows what the future holds but i am sick of injustice occurring i've always wanted to fight injustice um, and maybe this is a part of it. I don't know. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to talk to people about it and do the best I can. Um, and maybe one day jump into research in my own way. Um, there's actually an interesting debate going on about open access journals, like open access peer review journals, the peer review process. It's, it's good. Like we need to have those peer review processes. Um, but is, is it more beneficial? Cause like it's either peer review journals or blogging is those are the two things that are actually, yeah, funny that are actually being um, kind of at odds with each other right now because the peer review process can still peer review outlandish articles by bloggers. Like that process can still vet scientific articles um, because what we've seen with a lot of the journals is that they're only letting in certain researchers or they're throwing out research articles that doesn't fit their narrative. Just very similar to how the media is. And so would a blogging style of peer review process be just as 
beneficial as peer review open access journals. I don't know. It's an interesting thing, interesting thing to think about though, you know? Yeah, for sure. And maybe your podcast can be a mouthpiece for that because who's going to shut your podcast down? Maybe Spotify. I don't know. They just thought that Spotify didn't shut down Joe Rogan. So they're not going to shut down me. I mean, come on. <laughs> um, Honestly, we'll see. Well, what else, um, in this whole process, as we kind of bring this to a close, what are some of the things that you've taken away that have made a huge impact on your life? Oh my gosh. It's, I would say the biggest takeaway I have is how personal this has all been. Um, and just my own personal healing. And I really think maybe, maybe this is the point of catalyst in everybody's life, but I really think that, you know, like our biggest point, like stumbling on my words right now, um, our biggest pain points and, you know, those circumstances and situations in our lives that have brought about the most tremendous pain. What if on the other side of that is, our destiny, so to speak. Like what if on the other side of that is the life of our dreams? Like what if we use our brokenness to build other people up is what I'm trying to say in so many words. And so, um, I don't know. I just, I, I never would have imagined how personal this has been. It is literally an everyday occurrence for me. Like all of the mindset, mindset crap that I deal with and just push through in order to connect with other people um not to sound insensitive but like the mindset stuff really is like (laughs) the real deal yeah Um, i think people also while you're talking about mindset you know there's kind of three main spheres of life and mental health that people uh categorize things and try to fix things in there's the physical sphere the mental sphere and then the spiritual sphere um, they're all connected and what's hard is that people are forgetting about the conscious spirit, that subconscious spirit that you have that affects your mindset because we're trying to fix the mindset here through mental health, um, uh, procedures, which is great. And you know, your mental is going to affect your physical body too. Uh, and vice versa, your, your physical body is going to affect your mental body and then your mental body is going to affect your, your spirit. Um, but for me, it seems like the, the spirit is the core that you, you really got to work on. Um, there was a guy I had on the podcast a while back um, called Tam Hunt. Phenomenal, phenomenal theory that he, that him and one of his buddies has generated at the University of, I think, Southern California or SoCal or Berkeley. I forget which one it was. But it's called the General Resonant Theory of Consciousness. And it, the idea was, you know, where does conscious, where, where does that spirit consciousness thing come from the thing that's deeper than your mental state um, and their idea their their theory was that um, based on the idea that everything vibrates that there is resonance around everything that you are whether it's the the earth the table that you're sitting at um, you know your your iPad or your iPhone your computer technology all give off resonances that affect the human body physiologically Um his theory was that the consciousness comes from the byproduct of neurons firing off outside of the synapses. So whenever um, a synapsis fires off and makes a new connection or, you know, you have thoughts that are firing off, the byproduct of that is vibration. And that vibration vibrates outside of your brain in a way 
um, that creates a resonance and over, he says, millions and billions of years, uh, create a resonance that makes your consciousness in human form. What's fast, I'll bring that up, what's fascinating to me about that is he's, I, I think he's right about a lot of that, that I think, you know, we have a resonance about us that we aren't tapping into, we don't know about, and that is affected by so much that we forget that it's there. So in that sense, biologically, I think, I think he's got a point, but what's awesome, you, you know, you and I believe the same thing about the Holy Spirit and Jesus and, and Christianity for the most part, you know, the Holy Spirit and music play a vital role to your mental health. Um, you know, what if the, the music that we listen to affects and resonates with your subconscious and your spirit in the same way that the synapses are firing off, creating a, a consciousness in and of itself. It's like it's music. All of it's music. And they all connect. And we're forgo- foregoing the spirit to affect our mind because we're only trying to tackle our mind. But if we resonate with what is actually true in the spirit, then what if that would actually affect us in a way that changed our entire identity? Mind-boggling. I think you're on to something. Everything vibrates, man. Even your subconscious, even your spirit. You know, it's, there's so much there. Like it's, I've spent months now trying to study this and on why it affects who we are. Like, why does music affect your mood in such a way? Or why do you vibe or not vibe with certain people? You know, um, there's a lot there, but resonant theory of consciousness, look it up. I'm going to have to. Yeah, honestly, that's something that I have, like, that's a theory that I have been confronted with many times since I've been on this entrepreneurial journey because, and which theory, um, just, just the vibration, everything we just talked about. Yeah. Anyways, um, for me, there's a fine line and I, I still don't completely understand it because, um, and not to like dive in on a whole new tangent, but I have experienced um, like quite a bit of history with the hyper charismatic uh, spectrum of the church. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and this is something that I have seen abused to the nth degree. And so whenever I have coaches coming to me saying, you know, you need to work on your vibration or you need to work on your energy, I understand the logic behind it. But for me, those words are still triggering. Like they're still woo woo. Like interesting. Yeah. But I know there is merit to it because we are spiritual beings and we have energy, you know, like, yeah. So yeah. you all have to say you're on a point. No, I get, I, I hear what you're saying too. Cause for me, you know, I came from the kind of the opposite side of that where it was not charismatic at all. You know, we would lift our hands and that's pretty much it. Um, um, and so that realm I've always been curious about, like, like why does music affect your body so much? You know, what, yeah. what first got me on this, t- and I bring this up because I'm not trying to be extra spiritual. I'm trying to um, understand the spiritual in a biological and scientific way. Cause I'm sick of just guessing. Yeah. Like, why, why do I, th- like, why are there ghosts? You know, why can we see them at some times and other times not? And I, I think it really has to do with resonance. Um, and there was a guy I talked to on the podcast again, his name is Dr. Swagger. 
And his theory is that, you know, cryptids, things like Bigfoot or uh, whatever other type of conspiracy that you want to believe of, like why we see them at certain times is based upon the resonance around that time frame and who can see that or tap into the res- the vibrational resonance at that time frame. So for instance, um, Schumann's resonance, I brought this up a lot. Um, the earth has a, the earth biologically or not biologically, the earth has a set resonance right now. Um, it, it rests between 8.7 and 10 Hertz. You can measure it. It's, there's actually a lab, I think in Russia, which, yeah, I wonder if that's going to get taken down because uh, of the war. <laughs> um, it, it spits out information every day and it, it updates every 15 minutes and tells you what the current resonance is of the earth. And they can measure that by measuring how vibrations jump off the ionosphere and back to the earth. Very interesting study. Um, now, whenever there are certain spike, there can be spikes in those resonances where it jumps to like 30 or 40, which is wild. Um, the very first time I, I was curious about this was on a trip and it, uh, I had this crazy anxiety. I had no idea why I hadn't experienced anxiety like this before. And, and I was wondering why. And I saw a video the next day that like, Hey, did anybody was the super, anybody super anxious over this weekend? And apparently the earth had spiked three times, three, four times what its normal resonance is. And started that started me diving into what biologically changes based on Earth's resonance. And that got me into this huge kind of rabbit hole of studying music, studying vibrations. Not the way like witches do, like, hey, let's get our crystals together. Like, no. Like that's that could and even hyper charismatic Christians or um the the chi that they talk about that as well but there's something to this and it's not just get your energies right like there's there i think it's can be proven and understood in in a very different way and it's definitely there and it's it can now be measured but i also get how that can be very frustrating for somebody with your past and how that can be like hey like maybe back off a little so i'm not i'm definitely not trying to like <laughs> Hey, you need to understand this. That's not what I'm saying. Uh, there's just a lot of evidence, and I think it is a missing factor for for roping the different realms of science together, to be honest. Yeah, I think you're on to something. Well, it's not just me, but I'm curious more than anything. Well, as we wrap up, I know I said that like 20 minutes ago. Uh, anything <laughs> else you want to say? <laughs> I don't think so. Well, it was fun having you on. <laughs> yeah, Finally. it's been real. I know finally just after chit-chatting after uh finally getting you on after after a long time so Ashley thank you so much for coming on the show and uh hope to have you on soon all right yes thank you for having me talk to you later bye